Good morning, New Life East. Hello, I'm glad to see all of you. My name is Brett Davis. It's really nice to see all of you in this new year. Um, I, for the life of me, I couldn't remember what my dad joke was when Colin said that. Um, and then he reminded me, it's, I just saw it online that like, we're all excited about 2020, but we should be really concerned that 2020 just got to drinking age. <laughs> like there's really crazy stuff may, may start happening at this point. I could, anyway, that was, yeah, it was, thank you, thank you. Thank, thank the meme or wherever the meme was. Um, no, in all seriousness, have you ever had like a job that you've gone into and like the person before you like did it just so terribly that everyone's like so happy that you're there? And it's because the bar was set. That's like 2021. 2021 isn't anything that remarkable, um, but it's just like, we're just so, it's like being welcomed into the party because they hated the guy who left the party right before. Yes, you're here. It's like, there's, anyway, 2021, it couldn't get worse. Um, no, in all, in all seriousness, God, I mean, God works in broken places and in hard seasons, perhaps more than uh, he does when everything's green and sunshine and clouds. And um, so, um, yeah, we're hope, hoping for the green sunshine rainbows cloud um, and that God will still be at work because uh, I, I don't know about you, but I, he's done a lot of subterranean work in me in 2020, in 2020 and I'm ready for it to be over. Anyway, um, I wanted to begin the new year. That's, that was my choppy opening. Um, and let's, uh, I want to ground you guys in the, in the love of God <laughs> this morning. Uh, that feels like the, the right way to, um, to ground us uh, as we begin um, this new year as the church. And so Jesus, we invite you into this space, into this place, and um, we ask that you would speak gospel into our souls, that through us Easter would be blooming in the city around us. Um, we don't want to just gripe about the guy who just left the party. We want to celebrate the fact that your mercies are new every single day. Great is your faithfulness, even in the smack dab middle of the book of Lamentations where we find that. And so um, come and speak right now in this familiar text. We ask and we pray in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God now and forever. Amen. Uh, Matthew chapter 2 is where we're going to be this morning. It is uh, Epiphany is actually coming up. It's the end of the Christmas season, Epiphany is. That's when you're supposed to take down your decorations and all that. It's still Christmas, by the way. Nobody has brought me ten lords a-leaping, but today is the tenth day of Christmas, so Merry Christmas to you all. Um, and Epiphany, the text for Epiphany is the one we're going to be reading. Uh, it often gets lumped in with the Christmas text. It makes its way into our uh, nativity sets. So uh, I'm going to invite you to stand. Let's go ahead and stand together as we read the text this morning. Uh, it's going to be Matthew chapter 2, starting in verse 1. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod, Magi, everyone say Magi, Magi, from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him, because he wasn't a nice guy. Um, when he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. 
In Bethlehem and Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. This is from the book of Micah, actually. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out what... uh, found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. After they heard the king, they went on their way and the star that they had seen when when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother. Everyone say child. Child. Uh, They saw the child with his mother, Mary, and they bowed down to him and worshipped him. And they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they they returned to their country by another route. This is the word of the Lord and all God's people said... Thanks be to God. Uh, you can be seated. Uh, my goal this morning is to ground you in the beginning of a new year, in the love of God, with two scandals. There are two scandals that we just read in this text, and we may not have recognized that they were scandals, but we need to name them. The first is the scandal of the Magi. The second is the scandal of the child. So first, the Magi. We're so familiar with this story from like nativity sets and Christmas Hallmark movies and all all of it that we have lost the strangeness of what Matthew is telling us here. Matthew is is telling us of Magoi, the Magi. Of all people, Magoi are coming from the east to honor the child. Let's go ahead and throw this slide up here. Magos, or the plural Magoi, Magos is where we get the word magician from. It's, it's not a great word in the New Testament. Most frequently it gets translated wise men when we come to the Christmas story because presumably these uh, travelers were well studied or something like that. But <laughs> they are well studied. They're reading the stars. They're astrologers. Is what they're, they're, we're pulling the punch when we make the Christmas story quaint and cute and, and, uh, and safe. Uh, if you look through the ancient ancient Jewish and Christian writings looking for how Magoi and their practices are talked about, they are described in universally negative terms. In Acts chapter 8, for example, Simon, the sorcerer, you've heard of him, perhaps, uh, he is an example of somebody practicing. He's a practicing Magos. He, uh, he's a sorcerer. He's either like swindling people with cheap parlor tricks of some sort, or he's actually tapping into like dark powers in the universe somewhere. Acts chapter 13, verse 6, you meet a guy named Elimos, Bar Yeshua, who is explicitly called, you know how the NIV translates it? Sorcerer is, these are the only times in the New Testament this word gets used. Those two and this story right here. Being a magos, being magoi, like a magician, sorcerer, it is not exactly a great thing in the eyes of the people of God. And these magoi are coming from where? What direction? The East. Scholars, an educated guess, they are coming from the place that used to be formerly known as 
Babylon is where they are coming from. And they are following what? A star of all things. Can we please recover what a scandal this is that Matthew's opening his gospel with? These guys are following the ancient ways of Babylonian astrologers. <laughs> they're wandering, somehow they've wandered into the story. I want you to just listen for a second. Uh, the way that um, the prophet Isaiah talks about Babylonian astrologers, right? This is going to be from Isaiah chapter 47 up here on the screens. He's explicitly condemning uh, the Babylon and the people who are part of it here. It says, disaster will come upon you and you will not know how to conjure it away. A calamity will fall upon you that you cannot ward off with a ransom. A catastrophe you cannot foresee will suddenly come upon you. Keep on then, the sarcasm drips, keep on then with your magic spells and with your many sorceries, um, which you have labored at since childhood, perhaps you'll succeed. Perhaps you'll cause terror. All the counsel you have received has only worn you out. Let your astrologers come forward. Those stargazers who make predictions month by month, let them save you. Surely they are like stubble. The fire will burn them up. They cannot even save themselves from the power of the flame. These are not coals for warmth. This is not a fire to sit by. That is all they are to you. These you have dealt with and labored with since childhood. All of them go on in their error. There is not one that can save you. <laughs> That's that sounds like the worst. That sounds like maybe what somebody could have said at the beginning of 2020, right? No one can save you. It's um, the, uh, does Isaiah and the Hebrew tradition have a high view of those practicing these sorts of practices? No. That's the kind of sweeping language that the prophets use to condemn not only Babylon, but anyone pra practicing this kind of magic, astrology, sorcery, whatever. There's a disaster that's coming on Babylon and it's gonna consume you too. The fire is gonna burn you up. These guys, Magoi, are the enemies of God's people historically. Uh, but suddenly, with the arrival of Christmas, happy 10th day of Christmas, everyone, by the way, we have a scandal. God is drawing even Magoi, even enemies to himself. We could say it this way. Christmas reveal, has revealed God as enemy embracing love. That is what you are inviting into your heart when you ask God into your heart, by the way, is enemy embracing love. These are the kinds of people who are explicitly mentioned in the court of King Nebuchadnezzar back in Daniel chapter 2. They're trying to interpret a dream of that, um, and uh, they're not the good guys back in the Old Testament. These are Eastern sorcerers. These are Babylonian astrologers. These are the kinds of people that the prophets denounce, and yet God's love is drawing them, even them, even Babylonian astrologers are being drawn to Jesus. And make no mistake, they are still obsessing over the wrong kinds of things, aren't they? 
<laughs> They're still stargazing. They're still idolaters. But Christmas shows us the love of God who finds us even in our sin. Is where God, the, the love of God guides us even when we're gazing at the wrong thing, when we're stargazing. These people, I presume, are looking for truth in the best way that they know how, and God does what? No, I'm not interested in you. No, you're not saying the right prayers. God meets them where they're at and guides them. And for some of us, this is really, really stretching because God's kindness, God's generosity, God's love defies all of our neat and clean and tidy expectations of how God should work. Many of us in the room, I grew up in church, many of us in the room were, uh, including me, were taught that when we come into a room like this and we've just suffered through 2020 and Colin names specifically that we all feel like dry bones or we're dead or we're angry about the last year, we're resentful about the way the, the, the market went, we're, 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 angry about the way that God could allow whatever to happen. We're grieving the fact that we've lost someone. We are like, we're cynical about the future even. When we come in and we're like dry bones and we're dead on the inside. Or if you come into this place and you're like struggling in sin, like regularly. Many of us have been taught that sin and dryness and deadness, those are Many of us have been taught that those are places where not only God won't meet us, but some of us have been taught that those are actually places where God cannot meet us. God's too clean to look on. But let me tell you this. This is a scandal of the Magi. If God did not meet us in our sin, in our dryness, in our deadness, in our gazing at the wrong things, God would not be meeting any one of us. Can I get an amen? God's, we could say it this way, God's love gladly finds us first and frequently in sin. That's what God's like. It's really good news if you haven't heard. It's worth celebrating. The, the scandal of the Magi tells us that you have not drifted too far. You're not too far away. You haven't wandered too far away. You haven't drifted into the, in, too deeply into the wrong kinds of practices. You have not excluded yourself from the love of God. You, God says, you, I want you to be part of my story. The love of God is for you. God's, God loves the Magi. God loves, God loves you. I don't know how. God loves me. He loves Brett Davis of all people. He loves me. God's love just keeps on shining like a, like a star up in the heavens and drawing people into his embrace. But notice, I want you to notice, I don't want to be uh, too flaky right here. Uh, verse 1 says, notice how it plays out. The Magi are not immediately brought to Bethlehem. They're not immediately brought to the presence of Emmanuel, of God with us. God has revealed himself enough in their sin to bring them to Jerusalem. And from that point, they get directed, how? 
by scripture is what happens. Suddenly, and suddenly it's like this old story from Daniel 2 is getting turned on its head because instead of the king of Babylon summoning sorcerers and soothsayers and magi to interpret another person's, like his own dream, uh, suddenly it's the king of Jerusalem now has, is summoning who, the chief priests and the scribes and all the Bible nerds come over here and they're teaching the magi the scriptures. Where, where did you say the, the, the Messiah was? Oh yeah, Micah said it was going to be in Bethlehem. I remember that. So God meets them where they're at in a star, but then he eventually steers them with scripture and sharpens his purposes for them. Scripture is what gets them all the way to to the presence of Jesus. We could say it this way. God finds us in our sin to steer us out of it is what God does. As a parent, I've started recognizing um, that I'm pretty sure, I mean, I know that there's like a, a legal dimension of sin that's there underneath the covenantal um, d- descriptions of sin in Paul and all the, way the, all the way through the scriptures. But I started thinking about sin. I'm pretty sure that God thinks about sin a lot like the way that I think about a stinky diaper with my little girls. Um, it's, it's horrible. It's, 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 it's terrible. Like, unclean, unclean. Get rid of it. I would, can, we, can we get rid of this thing? Clean it up. We got to get rid of this thing. Um, but I would never in a million years dream of throwing the baby out with the mess, out with the stink. Uh, one of, in fact, one of the chief reasons that I dislike the smell of a diaper so much is not just because it stinks and it's awful and it's messy and it's unclean, but it's because I care so much about the wellness of my child is I want to get them whole. I want to get them well now. I don't refuse to meet my child in their... Ma- Why don't you go ahead and just try cleaning yourself up? Like to, to say to like a two-year-old, why don't you just... Let's see how that goes. Oh, you're getting a little messy, aren't you? Yeah, it's kind of yucky. That's what Papa always has to deal with. No, that's nowhere close to the heart. No, it's I scoop them up. I hold them, even in the mess. And I get, I get, this is, it's gross being a parent. You, you get mess on you. But my love compels me to meet them in their mess to get them out of it. So too with God is what this picture of the Magi is saying. God finds us in our sin. He found the Magi in their astrology for crying out loud, but God doesn't leave them there. He draws them to Scripture, and Scripture brings them to Jesus. This is the way it works with all of us. No matter who you are in the room, how you look, how long you've been in church, what you do, whatever, we're all Babylonian astrologers, and God loves all of us endlessly and mercifully, and he meets every single one of us in our brokenness, in our powerlessness, to invite us into joy, 
is what he's inviting us. Because that's where the story actually ends in verse 10. They're overwhelmed by great joy and brought into the presence of toddler God. It's what they're brought into so that they can worship him with their with their gifts, verse 11. These guys, they'd been staring at the stars so long that they didn't realize that the stars were staring back. <laughs> like They'd been gazing at the heavens so long and chasing after them, but they didn't know that the heavens were actually behind them, chasing them, and now have caught them. The gr- they meet up with the great mystery of faith, toddling around in a small house in Bethlehem, is what we have right here in Matthew 2. And that brings us to our second scandal, which will bring us to the table. The scandal of the child. We should say it this way. God is now part of the human family. (laughs) I don't know any other way to say it. That's what's happening. They see the child, verse 11, and they worship him. God has become, this is the crazy thing that we confess as Christians. God has become a human being. Like, I mean, talk about God getting mess on him. (laughs) Like, getting, like, down in the mess. That's the... That's actually the whole point of what Christians call the incarnation of God. Come, God has fully and forever become one of us. That's what Christians believe. God has entered into every bit of the human experience. You, it's like God entered in, the human race was poisoned. And so God said, the way I'm going to bring the antidote is I'm going to become a human being myself. Your mess is not too great. In fact, your mess is the precise place where God is meeting you. (laughs) It's the reason he became human. Maybe we should change the um, metaphor for a second and keep going with that poisoned metaphor. Sickness. Instead of the mess of a diaper, let's talk about sickness for a second. There's a long tradition in the church of recognizing that sin is not just like a breaking of a rule. It's not just like you stub your toe when you get out of bed and you say that word, and we all do. And I don't know what word you're thinking of, um, but uh, that it's not just breaking some rule on a cosmic chalkboard somewhere. Sin is actually something much more serious than that. It's like a sickness that has invaded all of the human race. It's like corrupting our very souls, who we were made to be. It's a sickness. Um, we should talk about Ashley Jewett and her five-year-old uh, daughter, Maddie. Um, that Maddie's doing okay now. She's doing great. But um, when this picture was taken, little Maddie had just recently been diagnosed with a um, really rare blood cancer. And so her mom, Ashley, um, along with dad and brother and granddad, um, all shaved their heads in solidarity with little Maddie. Because they, it's like when somebody's hurting, there's... we. We all have seen stories like this, and we, we're like, yes, if your hair goes, my hair goes. As go you, so go I. I am with you in this. We are with you in this. And we hear stories like this, and we think like, oh, we ache because of like how, it's like touching a taproot of how something true in the universe, something good and compassionate and loving, and we also ache on the inside because like we, shaving your head is not enough. It's like woefully insufficient. Like we can't get closer than this. I can't do anything else. If I could like take the thing 
myself, I would, and like my hair going is like the least, it's like so small. Um, this is a picture of my, um, of my daughter Daisy when she was nine months old. It turned out to be a really kind of beautiful picture um, <laughs> taken in a really scary moment. Um, I snapped it kind of in faith that like things would be okay because I didn't know at the time. She was nine months old and she, um, this is the beginning of her um, week-long stay in ICU up at Children's in Denver with breathing difficulties. Um, she wasn't just like on oxygen. She actually has a, a, a mask sealed around her, her face and it's forcing hot air into her lungs. Um, this, I can't remember if it was before or after this photo that we have a conversation with a doctor where they're talking about the next step, the, the last step, is going to be intubating her. Um, that's the point that we were at. And in this moment, when I snapped this picture, if I could have taken the inflammation in her lungs into my own and I could have drowned in it right at that moment, oh, you bet. It's like it's not even a decision. Someone try to stop me. I'm going to do it in a heartbeat. But I couldn't. All I could do was like kneel at the, I did, I just, on my knees next to her bed, and I'm just praying, and I don't even have, I don't even have faith or words to say, I'm just saying the Lord's Prayer. I'm just, Jesus gave me these words, and these are the words that I'm praying. Scoop them up and scoop my daughter up with them, and transform this situation. We shave our heads, and we pray next to bedsides, because it's all we can do. It's like the limit of what we can do. We can't actually enter into it with them. But the mystery of the Christian faith is that this is precisely what God has done with all of us. The toddling little child encountered by the Magi is Emmanuel, is what it says just a handful of verses before. God's actually entering into it into all of it, with us, into our anger, into our despair, into our confusion, into all of it. God has become part of the human, like he's entered into our experience fully. God the Son, it's a great mystery, but God the Son now and forever shares the DNA of a first century Jewish peasant named Mary. And maybe even her nose. I don't, I don't know. I haven't, I haven't seen him yet. <laughs> the, like, God has skin in the game is what I'm trying to say at this point. It's a scandal, but God has a mother at this point that he's watched her heartbreak as he's crucified. He knows that he, is, he has felt his body ache, his joints hurt. God, too, has friends. God, too, has dined with his friends, invested in friends, and experienced friends betraying him. God, too, enjoys good food and good sunsets and good jokes and good conversations. God, my brothers and sisters, whatever you're going, whatever's going on, God knows what it's like, is what I'm trying to say. God, too, has hungered. God, too, has felt tired. God, too, has felt confused. My God, my God, why? God, too, has died. 
God didn't just like meet the magi in their sin. God has actually arrived to carry their sin, to enter into it fully. He's entered into the human experience, not just gotten like a little bit of mess on him. He's plunged the depths of our sin sickness and taken it into himself and carried it in his body on the cross. We should say it this way. God has rushed into our brokenness. Of course God has. That's what love does. Try to stop God. You need to hear this morning that wherever you are, you can't stop him. He's rushing into your darkness. Far from being too messy or too sick or too broken for God to find you, you can't stop God from rushing in. That's what love does. He loves you. God doesn't just rush in to our sin or meet us there. He takes it carries it. He suffers it. He dies in it. And then three days later, he says, okay, now that we're just going to leave all of that mess right here. And now, can we please change the conversation and get about to the business of getting new resurrection life into you? That's what I'm interested in doing. The heavens have chased all of us farther and harder than any of us any of us dare to imagine. God is now one of us. The great scholar and theologian Robert Jensen, he once put it this way, kind of tongue-in-cheek. He said, one way of saying what happened with Jesus is that Jesus has so attached himself to you that if God the Father wants his son, Jesus, he's stuck with you too. That's, that's, that's the heart of it. And he's, not, and he's saying this tongue-in-cheek. He obviously knows there's no division between the Son and the Father. Blah, 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 blah. Jensen's whole point right here is saying God has freely chosen. He is stuck with you, and that's the way he likes it. He's chosen to stick with you. There was a time, perhaps, where we thought maybe God, maybe the destiny of God was different than ours. Maybe God was going to, you know, go play golf on, up on Mount Zion forever somewhere. And uh, he doesn't really care about Ryan or Colin or whoever in the room. But those days are gone. Those days are gone because now God the Son has fully attached himself to you. And as Jesus' destiny goes, so goes your destiny. Believe the gospel this morning. God has rushed in. Good luck try to stopping him. And he scooped you up. God is fully and forever invested in the destiny of the human race. God is fully and forever invested in your destiny. There is never, ever, ever a time when he is going to forsake us. The story of God the toddler drawing and meeting some magi means that wherever and however you are this morning, God's love is pulling you into life. He's doing it already. We just, God, grant us eyes to see and ears to hear the ways in which the heavens have gotten behind us and are chasing us, even in our stargazing, even in our sin. As the band comes up, even in that thing that you're ashamed of, 
even in that situation that, like 2020 perhaps, <laughs> like the wreckage of it, uh, if it's that way in your life, even in that unthinkable place that you won't let anybody into, that is the place where God is pursuing you, and it is the place where God wants to meet you before you give him anything, before you give him gold or myrrh or frankincense, before you can give him a thing, God is already always giving himself to you. And he's inviting you out of the mess and into new life. And so this morning, we're going to come and we're going to come to the table in just a minute. But before that, we're going to sing a really appropriate song. We didn't plan any of it this way. It's just coincidence, those divine coincidences. So I invite you to stand with me. Jesus, fix our eyes on these two scandals. The scandal that you meet us in our sin, in our waywardness, in our stargazing, you meet us, and that you have come closer to us than we dared to imagine. You are bearing all of our brokenness so that you can fill us up with your life. Grant us faith to see it even this morning. We ask and we pray in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit.
I'm encouraged every week when we come to the table that the climax of Christian worship is not singing. It's not, God forbid, a sermon. It is the presence of Jesus with us and trying to recognize that Jesus is present with us in the ordinary, in the everyday, in what we think of as the mundane. It's actually magic. It's magic upheld and held together by God himself and infused with his presence. There's nothing more magical about this moment than any other moment of our lives. We've just stopped seeing it. And so this morning, you're invited to hear the words of Jesus that he speaks over his disciples just before his crucifixion and he speaks over you, even you, this morning. He says, this is my body and it's broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And so you're invited to trust, that G- to take Jesus at his word. That when he says, I'm having a party, he actually means you're invited too. You're welcome, you're a part of this. And so Jesus, open our eyes to your presence in our everyday experience and even at this table, even in a little wafer of bread, we ask that you would fill us up, put us back together through your brokenness. We want to feast on your life. We don't know how, we confess we don't know how, but we say you do. So feed us at this table this morning. You're invited to receive the bread. Likewise, when supper was over, he took the cup and having given thanks, he shared it with his disciples. He shares it with you, shares it with you this morning. And he says, drink from this, all of you. This is my blood. It doesn't get any more intimate than that. This is my life. This is my blood. And it's poured out for forgiveness of sins. Do this in remembrance of me. And so my friends, if you are hungry for Jesus to cleanse you of your darkness, of your mess, of your brokenness, I have really good news for you. The gospel says it's for you too. That's what Jesus says. And so if you're hungry and thirsty for Jesus, he's forgiving you you may drink from the cup of salvation. And so right now in these moments, just in your own way, in your heart, or maybe with your voice, thank him. Thank him for the ways that he's carried you through, for the ways that it was surprising, for the ways that he continues to draw you, for his faithfulness, even in the midst of your unfaithfulness. Lift him up and praise his name right now. Jesus, thank you. And now we're going to lift our voices in song as we sing the doxology.
wonderful to have you with us today. If you would like prayer, we will be here at the front and come and, and pray with us. And I received the benediction this morning. May the Lord bless you. May he keep you. May he make his face to shine upon you and give you rest. Have a wonderful week. We'll see you next Sunday.